Well, what is up, my 6 p.m. people? Uh, so excited, yes. Uh, so excited that you are here. All of you are here uh, this evening. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. Uh, so thankful you've chosen to spend some time tonight as we uh, worship God and look into his word. I do want to say hello to anybody who's joining us on video this evening or later uh, this week. I love that we can leverage technology and be with you right where you are. So thanks for tuning in as well. This is the week number four and the final week in a sermon series called Our Father, praying prayers that matter. And this whole series has been based on the Lord's Prayer. Now, most of us, uh, even if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never been to church before, or maybe you're here and you don't believe in God at all, most of us are at least familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Like we've heard it before, maybe even said it before, but perhaps there's someone who's asking the question, like, what does it mean? How does the Lord's Prayer relate to life today? And so my hope, my prayer through this whole series has been uh, that all of us together, even those of us who may not believe, whether you agree with the prayer or not, I hope that we will see how the Lord's Prayer, for those of us who do believe, relates to our everyday lives. And every week in the series, we've been saying the Lord's Prayer together out loud. And so you don't have to believe it. You don't have to mean it. But I'm asking all of us one more time to say this prayer uh, out loud. So Jesus uh, said this is the way we should pray. So let's read this out loud. Pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I wanted to have it written for us to read because the very first time in our church I led as a youth pastor in Gillette, the very first time I was given the responsibility of leading the Lord's Prayer on a Sunday morning before the offering, I forgot almost every single word. And so I wanted to read it, and you could read it along with me uh, as well. Uh, we got, I've said every single week about the Lord's Prayer, and I'll remind us tonight, that the Lord's Prayer is not a prescription to get what we want from God that it is loaded with principles to grow our relationship with God, that that really is, those principles are what will guide prayers that matter. And uh, so far in the series, I see a total of seven principles. So far, we've looked at five of them. And as always, if you want to catch up, you missed a sermon or part of the series, you can do that on our website, elementchurchwy.com. You can also download the iTunes podcast. All of our sermons are on there as well. And I know, okay, I, I understand that God is perfect. And so he cannot have OCD. But I just want to point out that all of the principles do start with the same letter uh, because I believe that God's power works best through alliteration. It's either that or I know my eye will twitch if they don't all start with the same letter. All the OCD people unite in the room. So, so far we have five principles. They all start with the letter P. I'm going to roll through them here as a reminder and I'll go through the Lord's Prayer with it as well. So we started out saying, Our Father who art in heaven. That you are God and I am not, so I surrender my position to you. The principle of position in our prayers. Then it was, hallowed be thy name. That I praise you for who you are, what you've done, and what you are going to do. Thy kingdom come, may your presence reign. 
Thy will be done. May your preference rule. Give us today our daily bread. It's your provision, God, that we rely on. And that brings us then to today. And to help set it up, I'm going to ask you, if, if I said the name Matthew Emmons, I don't know unless you were here this morning, if anyone really knows who he is or if anybody even want to know who Matthew Emmons is. But if I showed you this picture of Matthew Emmons, it might at least pique some curiosity because that is an awesome, huge rifle that that dude is holding. So what in the world is Matthew Emmons doing with that rifle? Well, Matthew Emmons was an elite air rifle shooter for the U.S. Olympic team. He was on the Olympic team in 2004, and Emmons was participating in a competition where you had to shoot at a target 50 meters away from three positions, from your belly, from your knees, and then from your feet. He was on his 10th and final shot, so one more shot to go, and Emmons only needed a score of 7.2 to win the gold medal. To put that into perspective, his first nine shots, he averaged a score of 9.3. So to get a 7.2, he could have probably done nearly blindfolded or with his eyes closed. Even so, even though it would have been an easy shot for him, he did not take this final shot for granted. And so he, you know, he held up his gun, aimed at the target, took a deep breath, bam, right inside, not a perfect bullseye, but right inside of the target. It would have been an official score of 8.1, thus locking the gold medal for himself and for our country if he would have hit the correct target. <laughs> you see, his joy suddenly turned to massive disbelief and incredible disappointment when he realized he had aimed at and shot at the target next to his, an opponent's target. It's officially called a crossfire. It's a score of zero, and it dropped him completely out of medal contention to eighth place. Now, as I was reading the story, I obviously felt very sorry for Matthew Emmons, but here's the thing. Emmons didn't win the gold or any medal that day, but no one held it against him. In fact, his coach afterwards was consoling him, telling him it was an honest mistake. He didn't intentionally aim at the wrong target. His aim was right. His intention was good. The Olympic Committee did not ban him from future events, did not discipline him in, in any way. In fact, he went on to compete in other Olympics, has won a gold, silver, and a bronze medal. Other Olympic athletes rallied around him. When people in America found out, they were sending all sorts of support to him. He didn't win a medal, but his mistake wasn't held against him either. And with that in mind, I want to use that, that story, that idea of getting us into the last two principles in the Lord's Prayer. The last two phrases are what we're going to focus on today, starting with the phrase, forgive us our sins. Now, only a few versions of the Bible use the word sin. And I, when I say versions, you may not understand, okay? So if you don't know, when the Bible was written, it was written in Hebrew and then in Greek. Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament. But obviously, I don't know about you, but I can't read Hebrew or Greek. There's only a few people I know that can. And so people that are smarter than us translate that into English. And there's multiple versions or translations. So you have the NIV, the King James, the New Living, which is what we use uh, here at Element Church mostly. And, but most versions, in fact, most of us did not learn the Lord's Prayer using the word sins. We learned it using the word debts, trespasses, or transgressions. 
And that word sin in the the Lord's prayer that we're saying sin, in the original language, it is the word debt, but not really the word debt in the way that we would think of it, okay? So one of the theologians that I read said, nothing is more frequent in Jewish writings than to call sins debts. And so we're using the word sins because I think we understand that word a little bit more in the context that we are in. So what does it mean when we are asking God to forgive us our sins? Well, if we're going to ask God to forgive us of sin, we need to know what sin is, right? What's the definition of of sin? So if we're going to use the word uh, sin and ask God to forgive us, we better understand what it means. So in its most general sense, I'm not sure that everybody understands this, okay? And maybe you do, if that's fine, this is just confirmation for you, but I want all of us to be on the same page. So sin in its most general sense means this, it's on the screens, sin means missing the mark. Missing the mark, that I'm off of the bullseye, okay? Romans 3, 23, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul wrote Romans, and he said this in Romans 3, 23, for everyone has sinned. That's everyone has sinned. That's you, that's me, Billy Graham, the Apostle Paul, even Tim Tebow has sinned. Everyone, okay, everyone has sinned. If I were to ask us how many of you have sinned, we would all raise our hands. If you didn't raise your hand, that would make you a liar, which you're now a sinner, so welcome to the club. Everyone has sinned. And then Paul said this, we all, everyone say all, All. we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So in a general sense, everything in me that falls short of the perfectness of God is sin. So is anyone here absolutely perfect? You might feel like there are some people in your life who believe they are, and if you're sitting next to them, do not elbow them now, wait till later. But when you boil it all right down to it, right, none of us are perfect. Now, without fully understanding sin... And how God deals with sin, that definition could be an oh crap moment. Because I don't know about you, actually I do because we all fall in this category, that every single day we fall short every moment of God's perfectness, right? So if I don't understand sin and how God deals with it, that could be a very big deal. That's why we have to understand sin in its specific context. So here's the definition of sin specifically, okay, not in a general way, but in a specific way, and it's this. Sin is the deliberate disobedience of the known will of God. The deliberate disobedience of the known will of God, that I know what God said to do, but I'm going to do something different, right? If you're a parent and you've had a toddler, you've seen that in your child, right? You tell them, do not do that. And they, so I'm comparing ourselves to toddlers spiritually, which is a huge encouragement, uh, I, I know. So to make this even more fun, and really, hopefully, the ultimate goal is to make this more memorable in our minds. I want this burned in our minds, this definition of sin. I just think, what good is it to have a target on the platform if you're not gonna shoot it? Right? So all the guys want to see me shoot something, but want to see me shoot something. So bring out the weapon. Now don't, don't be too afraid. This is a paintball gun, and it does not have a safety on it, so i got to be careful. Uh, but you should be a little afraid because I have the paintball gun. So um, 
I actually wanted to use a real gun, but I'm quite sure that's not legal and we did not have enough earmuffs or eyeglasses for everyone in the room. Uh, so that was the first thing I wanted to do. The second thing I wanted to do was I wanted to shoot our resident Ryan. That would have been awesome, but that's not in his job description. It's not in his job description, so I couldn't do it. This is 6 p.m. service though, right? Who wants to see me shoot Ryan? Okay. I don't know where Ryan is right now, but I hope he's watching this. Um, I'm not going to actually shoot Ryan because that I can't do that. But I did have a picture of Ryan. Can we zoom in on that? Okay. There you go. <laughs> yes. Our executive pastor printed that picture off for me, just so you know. So, the first definition of sin is missing the mark. Right? That's what Matthew Emmons did. Matthew Emmons was aiming. His intention was good. His aim was even good. He was just aiming at the wrong target. He missed the mark. And in a general sense, this is what we all do every day, all day. So let me illustrate missing the mark. That I know, imagine if you would, okay, imagine that right here on Ryan's teeth, <laughs> right here on the bullseye, was, was a, a mark the perfect size of a paintball, the exact size of a paintball. That means I have to hit that exact mark every single time or I've sinned. That's what that general definition is. So I know, I'm not going to shoot him in the face, that's just mean. Okay. You guys, you're my favorite. So I know right there in the center that's what God wants me to hit, right? And so I take aim. I hit it once. But what did I do? I missed the mark. Now, I know there's some joker here today, and you're thinking, I could hit it every single time. Well, thanks for being here, Mr. Jesus Paintball Man. I'm glad that you're with us. I'm not that good as you. So that's missing the mark. Okay, but here, and, and listen, do we need cleansed from that kind of sin? Absolutely we do. And we'll get to that here in a second, okay? We're going to talk about that here in the sermon. But this is the sin that we should be concerned with, okay? The deliberate disobedience of the known will of God. That I know that's that very center mark, that that is what I should be aiming at. That I know what God wants me to do. I know where I should be aiming I'm going to do my own thing. Who's God to tell me what to do? Why should I do what God says? I, mean, I, know, I know that center mark is what I should be doing. But I'm going to choose to do something different. Now, can God forgive that sin too? I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm in a world of hurt, right? But here's the thing. And church, this is so huge. God wants to do more than forgive us of our sins. God wants to set us free from sin. To set us free. That's why Jesus said, forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. The power. I think this, to me, might be the most important part of the Lord's Prayer for us to pray because it has the most eternal impact and weight upon it. Like, this one relates so 
deep in our spirits. Not that the other parts of it aren't important, but this one just carries some more weight. That not only does God want to cleanse us from our sins, but he also has the power to keep us from deliberate sins. Okay? So here's the big idea for today. It's kind of taken from what we just went through here. It's on the screens too. That purity from our sin and power over sin are both at the heart of our Father. Purity from and power over sin are both at the heart, the center of our Father. So if that's at the heart of who God is, then here's the big question we have to ask. What should be my approach to sin? What should be my approach to sin? The main scripture is Psalm 19, 12 through 14. King David, the same David that slayed Goliath, King David wrote this psalm. And it's, a, it's amazing three verses we're going to read here. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along there. Use version. It's a free Bible app. If you're on there, there's an events section. Our church will pop up. If your location services are on, you can follow all the notes and verses on there as well. And then they'll be on the screens too because we want you to be able to follow along. And I just always take time for this. If you don't own a Bible... We want you to have one, okay? And so ask for one at guest services completely free. We'll get you one today. We're going to jump right in here. Here's the first thing that should be my approach to sin. Number one, to seek cleansing from my sin. To seek cleansing from my sin. King David said this, Psalm 19, verse 12. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. How can I know all the sins in my heart. And just so you know, that doesn't mean, well, I just sin so much, I can't even keep track of it all, but thank God for his grace. I do thank God for his grace, but that's not what this means. This is not an excuse to have lots of sin. This is our example of what to do with our sin. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me, forgive me of my sins. And I think the sins that King David is talking about here are those missing the mark sins. That I, I'm, I'm trying to hit the bullseye, but I, I've missed the mark. They're not deliberate. And the reason I believe that is he used the phrase hidden faults. How can I know about all the, these missing the mark sins? And when he says hidden faults, he's not meaning secret sins that no one else knows about. He's meaning sins that I'm not even aware of in my own life. Sins that are hidden from me. And you might be thinking, how can you sin and not be aware? How can you sin and it's hidden from you? Well, Adam Clark, a great theologian, said this about that phrase, hidden sins. And he says this, hidden sins could be those which I have committed but have forgotten, or those which I have committed without even knowing they were sins, sins of ignorance, missing the mark. I thought I was aiming at the right target, but I was, I was a, little bit, a little bit off. The Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, he wrote this in 1 John 5, 16. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. Now, some of you are like, what in the world does that mean? Well, the word death there that John uses does not mean physical death, but a spiritual death. That there is a sin that leads to spiritual death, but there's also sin that does not lead to spiritual death. I think the difference is in that deliberate, the, uh, the deliberate and that missing 
the mark. And again, I believe personally the sin that leads to death is the deliberate disobedience of the known will of God. That I know that's what God says I should aim at. Right there, dead in the center. But I'm going to do my own thing. Friends, that sin is not to be trifled with. That sin leads to spiritual death. It's deliberate sin that separates me from God. And the moment I begin to think that sin is no big deal, let me remind you of how big of a deal sin was to God. Think about it. What did God do to Jesus because of sin? He crucified him. So the moment I start saying my sin is no big deal, I'm essentially spitting on the cross. Saying, sorry, Jesus, I know you died for it, my sin, but I'm going to do my own thing anyway. That's heavy. It should be. That's a sin that leads to death, okay? There is a sin that does not lead to death. And that's what I believe is that missing the mark sin. So going back to our illustration, that I, I know... Make sure I got paintballs left. Yep. I know that that's where God wants me to aim. And I do my best. Sometimes I miss the mark, right? And that's just reality. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, both kinds of sin need cleansing. So how do we get cleansing from sin? The good news is God wants to cleanse us. Amen. So here's the key. 1 John 1, 9. Again, the Apostle John writing, but if we confess our sins to him, the caveat is if, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness, that without confession there is no cleansing. There's no cleansing. And listen, you might be thinking, well, who is able to come to God for cleansing? Everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Because here's what I know. I shared this in the second service this morning. I didn't share it with first service, but I'm going to share it again tonight. That all my life, all my life, I've I've literally been in church since the day I was born. Okay, My dad was a pastor. Now I'm a pastor, and I've never known anything but church. And all my life, I've heard people say, I don't like coming to church because I feel convicted. And my response is, praise the Lord. Because do you know what conviction is? Conviction is God saying to you, I still love you. Would you please come home? Would you please? Do we sang that? Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Our forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That all are welcome at the altar of God. It's confession that's the key. To confess my sin, that purity from my sin and power over sin are both at the heart of our Father. So what should be my approach to sin? I need to seek God's cleansing. Forgive us our sins. Number two is this. I need to submit to God's control over sin. Submit to God's control over sin. So Psalm 19.13 now. King David says this. Keep your servant, if you want to make it personal, just use the word me for yourself. Keep me 
from deliberate sins. So here there's a difference between deliberate and hidden sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sins. So here again, we see guilt associated with deliberate sins. That word deliberate, I know we're going theologically deep today, so I hope that's okay. But the word deliberate means presumptuous sins. Sins committed not through frailty or surprise or ignorance, but those which are the offspring of thought, purpose, and deliberation. That I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to do my own thing. David said, Lord, keep me from that kind of sin. Don't let sin control me. So in the Lord's Prayer, this is why we pray not only for purity, but also for God's power, that uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, that we want God's Lord, I need your power, that I can't do this on my own, amen? Like I can't. So God, I need your power, and in order to get that, I submit to your control over sin. Now, I'm aware, okay, I'm aware that there are some people here today, there have been all day long, who love God with all of their heart, but they may not fully agree with everything I have said or everything I'm about to say, but I'm about to say it anyway, okay? So here we go. Any doctrine that does not preach the grace of God to cleanse our sin is not a doctrine from God. Now most, if you are a believer, you believe that. And here's why. Because that is what separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet. We are saved by grace through faith and this not of our works so no one can boast. It is a free gift of God. I believe that's Ephesians 2. Somewhere in Ephesians you can read that exact verse that I just quoted to you. That salvation costs us nothing to receive. It costs us everything to live. <laughs> We're doing a series. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. We're doing a series in September called Don't Be a Fan, What It Means to Follow Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Wear your Bronco jersey the first week. It's kickoff Sunday. Yeah, so whatever. Ra Somebody say Raiders. Let's stop and pray. Anyone who preaches... If, if your theology does not include the grace of God to forgive us, it's not a theology from God, okay? And, and, this is where we might divide. In the same way, any doctrine that does not preach the power of God to give us control over sin is also not a doctrine from God. That it is the same power that cleanses us that also gives us control over sin. Church, if God's grace is not strong enough to control our sin, then it is not strong enough to cleanse our sin. And it is. You can be set free. Not to where you'll never ever sin again, but to where you can have control over those deliberate acts of sin. So many verses I would love to read to you. Here's one. I'm already rambling because it's 6 p.m. service and you guys are awesome. So Romans 6, 12 through 18 says this. 
Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God that I submit to your control. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not, Paul says, okay? That the grace of God does not give us freedom to sin, The grace of God gives us freedom from sin, from it. That's the power of the gospel. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and become slaves to righteous living, verses 22 and 23. But now you are free from the power of sin, become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, and every Christian should say amen to that. Free gift of God. But he also frees us in that gift. (laughs) It's good news. It's good news. The wages of sin is death. Another way to say that is the debt of sin is death. So forgive us our debts. That, Lord, I'm seeking your purity, asking for your cleansing, I'm submitting to your control that I need your power, that purity from our sins and power over sin are both at the heart of our Father. So here's the third thing we should do in response to sin. Number three is this. Stand in confidence before God. Stand in confidence before God. Listen, church, I know that sermons on sin are heavy And convicting sometimes and even make you feel like, man, I have so far to go. But I'm here to tell you, church, you can stand in confidence before God. Do you know that we are told in Scripture that because of Jesus, not because of what I can do, what he did, we can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence? Confidence. So look at what David says, last verse, 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words. He did not say make the words. He wasn't praying, Lord, I know I'm going to say some things I shouldn't say. So if you could do some Jesus jujitsu and make it sound really good by the time it hits the throne, like make my words sound. No, may the words of my mouth. And may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you that I've sought your purity. I've submitted to your power. And now I stand in confidence because of you, O God. I am confident before your throne. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Isn't it ironic? That we've come all the way back around to the very phrase we started the whole series with. Oh, 
Lord. If you weren't here, that phrase, O Lord, that name Lord, is the highest name of God. We talked about that first week. It's the name that God gave to himself, the name that Jewish people so valued and so revered they would not even utter it out loud. So we don't know how to pronounce the name. We pronounce it Yahweh, but we have no idea if it's right because the Jewish people wouldn't even say it. So, oh Lord, our Father, who art in heaven, you are God, and I'm not. So I surrender my position to you. In fact, let's put up the last prayer here. If you want to take a picture of this, write it down. We'll leave it up there long enough for you to do this. This is what I pray literally every day as a part of my prayer routine. And I'm not saying that you have to do this, but what I am saying is these principles, these principles need to fit somewhere into your prayer life. Because this is what I believe the Lord's prayer is all about. So every day when I sit down to pray, before I go through my, my prayer journal, my list of things I'm seeking God on, I just sit down and do this. It takes me a couple minutes. I'm going to read through this with you. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to insert the Lord's prayer with it because that's how I do it. Okay, so this is what I do. Our Father who art in heaven, you are God and I am not, so I surrender my position to you. Hallowed be thy name. I praise you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you are going to do. Thy kingdom come, may your presence reign. Thy will be done, may your preference rule. Give us today our daily bread. God, it's your provision that I rely on. Forgive us our sins. That God, I need your purity. Purify me from my sin. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That I'm, I'm asking for your power over sin. Amen. A couple minutes, really. Probably not even two minutes. Church, I'm telling you, can you imagine if we begin to live our lives through the lens of those principles, what would change? Just in my own life, if I do that and when I, I've seen the change in my own life. And I don't always live it out perfectly. Listen, I missed the mark. <laughs> I missed the mark. And I've had some deliberate sins that I've had to stop and say, Lord, forgive me. I need your power over sin. I'm not saying go be perfect. I'm saying go live within the power of God. So today we're taking communion. I think it's a great way to close our series if you're new here, you, you don't have to be a member to take communion, but we do believe what the Bible says, that we should be in a right relationship with God. So that means if you are a Christian and you have unconfessed sin, you might want to deal with that before you take communion, okay? If you are not a Christian, then we would ask that you either pass the tray on. If you don't want to take it, that's fine. We will literally think nothing of it. We are just thrilled that you're here. So if you don't want to take it, you can pass it on. Or if you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you can do that as a part of communion. That, God, I believe in Jesus, that he is my Savior. He died for me. So, Jesus, I confess all my sins to you. Forgive me of all my sin. Make me new. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. And I will follow you with my life. You can pray that prayer. And if you're sincere and you seek God's forgiveness, he will give it to you. He will cleanse you of your sins. The body represents, or the bread represents the body of Jesus given for us. The cup represents the blood of Jesus poured out for us. And it is a great reminder 
of the length Jesus went to deal with my sin. So I hope in this time of communion um, that you're reminded of the length our God went to to deal with our sin issue. It's a, it's a, a time of worship, really. So I'm going to pray here in a moment. The ushers, after I pray, well, they're going to come forward. They're going to pass the plates down the rows. And so you can take the elements out and then receive them whenever you're ready. The band will sing a song literally based on this last verse. It's a beautiful song, super powerful. Hope it encourages you today. I love you guys. Uh, thanks for being here tonight. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to receive communion. God, you're so good. And Lord, I, I've preached this now three times to this beautiful congregation and Lord, every time I'm just continually reminded of the weight of sin. It was, it was my sin, not these people's sin. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And Lord, I pray I never lose sight of that. So Lord, forgive me of my sins. And keep me from deliberate sins. Help me live in your power and stand in confidence before you. Lord, as we take communion, remind us of the length that you took, the depth you went to, to deal with the sin that we have committed against you. Oh, come to the altar. Thank you that your arms are open wide. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.